Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. Time is something that I think about a lot, and not like in some deep, you know, philosophical sense or anything like that, but just like in a real practical sense. I'm always thinking about my time. How am I spending my time? How could I spend my time? Because time is such a valuable thing. We're always spending it. We can never get more of it. We can't save it. We can't get more of it through like hard work or, you know, it's, it's just this most precious thing that's always slipping through our fingers. And so it's really important we make the most of our time. In fact, it's been said that the, the level of your success is directly uh, a result of how you spend your free time. And I, I believe that that's true, you know. Our free time, how we spend our downtime, is important. And so over the last few years, I've been trying to cultivate that attitude and, and use my free time to learn new things or you know, grow in new skills or, or, or something. You know, My time is very valuable to me. And because of that, when people waste my time, it, it is, oh, it's, it's one of my biggest pet peeves. And I, I run into this constantly in this frustrating place called Facebook Marketplace. I don't know if you've ever tried to sell something on Facebook Marketplace, but if you have, tell me if this conversation sounds familiar. I, hey, I'm very interested in your item. I can be by your place tonight after I get off at work. I get off at 5, I can be there by 6. That sounds great. See you then. 6 o'clock comes. 6.15. 6.30. 6.45. Hey, are we still meeting tonight? Oh, I completely forgot. I'm so sorry. Something came up. Could, could we meet this weekend, this Saturday around noon? Sure, fine. Saturday noon, 12.30, 1 o'clock, 1.30. No word, nothing. Hey, are we still doing this today? Oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot once again. Is there any way we could do this later? I just want to hand people an invoice for all of the time that they've wasted from my life. We run into this all the time. Time is so, so precious. It's something to, to cherish and to use well, to respect. However, that attitude about time, respecting it and cherishing it so much, it can have some downsides. It can make things like patience very difficult because time is valuable, right? And if we're just waiting and waiting and waiting for something to materialize, well, aren't we just wasting time? Patience can be really challenging. And we're talking about that and a few other things this morning as we continue the series that we started a few weeks ago called Defining Faith. We're out to, to understand what is faith from a biblical standpoint. Faith is this, like time, really important concept to everybody, whether you're religious, not religious. It's something we all make use of and value. And yet, it's so big and important, and we never really sit down and define what exactly is faith. We're chasing down a working definition of faith in the Bible, and our hope by the end of this series is to become people who are ourselves defined by that kind of faith. And we've been looking at the life of a man named Abraham to help us understand faith. Abraham is held up throughout the Old and New Testament both as this prime example of what it means to have a strong biblical faith in the Lord. And so we've been learning from him, and today we're going to continue to look at his life as we deal with some of the challenges that time presents to our faith. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to mix things up a little bit. We're going to look at the New Testament this morning. We've been in the book of Genesis for a while, but today we're going to look at the book of Romans, chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open those up. You can follow along with us in Romans, chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible, you can always follow along on the screen behind, 
or you can download the FCC Monmouth app to your mobile device. Tap the Sunday button in the bottom right-hand corner, and you'll find our sermon notes along with all of our various passages pulled up, ready for you to reference so you don't have to flip around back and forth. It's pretty useful. So, like we said, faith and time. Time presents some unique challenges to our faith. And one of those challenges is, is kind of something we mentioned just a few minutes ago, patience. Sometimes having a biblical kind of faith requires us to be patient, to wait on the Lord. And that's, that's another key aspect of faith. Faith is trusting God with, with a patient kind of trust. Faith is patience in, in many, many ways. We look at the story of Abraham, and, and we can start to see this really at the beginning here in Romans chapter 4, verse 18. It says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope, that's an interesting phrase by itself, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now just to kind of catch us up to speed on what we just read, in this section of the book of Romans, like the first 25% of it, the Apostle Paul is laying out the gospel in pretty great detail, honestly, explaining what is this good news from God. It's this good news that, that we are saved through the sacrifice of Jesus, that our sin has been atoned for, that we've been justified in the eyes of God, that we are invited to return to his good graces and good favor in fellowship as his children. It's this wonderful, wonderful invitation that God has given us. And it's a gift because it's not the sort of thing that you and I could earn. None of us had succeeded in measuring up to this standard. We all are, are kind of bent away from God in our own unique way. And yet, he sought after us and saved us through the blood of Jesus. And he gives us this invitation to come home and be forgiven as an act of grace. This, this favor, this undeserved favor that he shows us. In fact, that's really the, the heart of the gospel. It is grace through faith in the work of Jesus. And in Romans chapter 4 specifically, Paul is holding up the man of Abraham and saying, look, let's take a look at what this kind of saving faith looks like and how God has always looked for faith ever since the beginning of this whole story. And what we just read in verse 18 is, is kind of Abraham's whole life of faithfulness just kind of distilled into a single moment. This is a reference to Genesis chapter 17 where God appears to Abraham at 99 years old and he says, Abraham... You are going to have a son with your 90-year-old wife, Sarah. Now, that's quite a promise. And there's a lot of obvious reasons why we might call into question that promise if God were to say that to us today, being 99 years old. And we will get to that. But before we do, I think we would almost be better served looking at one of the less obvious reasons why this is a challenging promise to believe. It's not the first time that Abraham has been told by God, you're going to have a son. In fact, God has been making this same promise for the last 24 years. 24 years, multiple occasions, God has appeared and said, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will give you offspring. I will, I will increase your, your house. Your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky or the sands on the shore. And here he just says flat out, you are going to have a son. It's the same promise, 24 years, and yet there's still no son. And now God is saying to Abraham, I need you to wait just a little bit longer. I need you to be patient, Abraham. That is the unique challenge that maybe isn't so obvious in Genesis chapter 17 that our passage is referencing. God is saying to Abraham, will you trust me a little bit longer? 
Patience can be a challenge to our faith. Heck, patience is challenging in any context, if we're honest. Patience is a difficult thing to cultivate and appreciate. Just by way of example, I've been trying to learn, use my free time, to learn about uh, cryptocurrency in the last few weeks. Maybe you've heard that term. Maybe you've heard of bitcoins, digital money. I don't understand how it works. That's why I'm trying to learn it. It seems to be a big deal. And so I've been learning and learning, and I've even started to trade just a little bit to see what it's going to do. And I've also learned I'm not very good at that, uh, mainly because I lack patience. You know, I'll buy a little bit, and I'll watch the graph just like a stock, and it either goes up or down. And within 10 minutes, I'm ready to sell it and be like, where's the profit? Why didn't I make any money, right? I don't have patience to watch that investment develop. Good, good example of this. It was like my first week of learning. I bought a little bit of, of coin and almost immediately, the, the value just dropped like 10%. I thought, oh, nuts. But I had this realization, if I just wait, then the price will come back up if I'm patient. And so I waited for like two days, and sure enough, the price came up to, to what I bought it for, and I sold it right away. I was just happy to break even, right? That's good enough for me. But then something happened, and that little line on the graph just kept going up and up and up and up and up. And if I had been just a little more patient, man, there would have been a great blessing that maybe I would have experienced there if I hadn't taken matters into my own hands and just settled for breaking even. And that's honestly kind of a good comparison to how we treat God and and our faith in Him sometimes. Because patience is hard. It's hard to wait on the Lord whenever our life is at a crossroads and we're looking to Him for direction. And patience and waiting on the Lord is hard when it's our family member or our loved one in the hospital bed and we are praying earnestly. And patience in the Lord is difficult whenever our life is is either going to go left or right or we're trying to seek His will and we're just anxious to to please Him and to do what is right, but we're we're not real sure what that is. And, And waiting on the Lord in the various phases and seasons of life, being patient, is hard. And there are times where we may be tempted to break even, so to speak. Just take matters into our own hands and settle for good enough. But in doing that, oftentimes we cheat ourselves out of the good God might have in store for us if we are just patient a little longer and wait on Him to act. Our passage, Abraham, he's a great example of this. God comes to him in Genesis 17. He says, I'm going to give you a son. Well, Abraham had already grown impatient and taken matters into his own hands. He had a son with his wife's servant. That son's name was Ishmael. In fact, when God comes to Abraham in Genesis 17, Abraham says, look, God, I already have a son, Ishmael. Can you just put all of that blessing on him? Abraham wanted to settle for for good enough. But God had promised to make him the father of many nations if he would just have the faith. And that's what God did. He blessed Ishmael. From Ishmael came many of the people groups of the Arab world today. But God did so much more than that. This promised child that came through this wife, Sarah, the son's name was Isaac. Isaac had two sons. One was named Esau. And from Esau came all of the Edomite people that we read about in the Old Testament. And Esau, he had a a grandson, Amalek. And from Amalek came all of the Amalekite people that we read about in the Old Testament. But uh, Abraham's son Isaac, he had another son, Jacob. And from Jacob came the 12 tribes of Israel. 
So all the Israelites come from Abraham. But from the Israelites comes one specific Israelite named Jesus of Nazareth, through whom all oodles of people all across the world have been grafted into this spiritual family of Abraham. I'm talking about you and me, the church. Abraham's wife, Sarah, she would pass away. He would remarry a woman named uh, uh, Keturah. She would have a son named Midian, and through Midian would come all the Midianite people that we read about in the Old Testament. There are so many different nations that trace their lineage back to Abraham. God fulfilled his promise in such a huge way, but Abraham had no way of knowing any of this lay in his future. All he knew in this this moment was that for 24 years, God had been saying, will you trust me? Will you wait on me? And here in this moment, Genesis 17, will you be just a little more patient? Because I promise I will grant you a son through Sarah. Patience, it's such a key part of having faith in God, waiting on him. And yet it can be such a challenge for us at times. That's why Abraham is held up. I love that phrase that this passage begins with. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Despite all the things going against him, he trusted in the Lord and was patient. And he experienced that blessing that God intended. I hope in the seasons of our lives where we are at that crossroads, where we are seeking the Lord, we're seeking direction, and we are tempted to take matters into our own hands and walk by our own understanding, I hope we will remember the faith of Abraham and remember that faith is a patient trust in God. But patience isn't the only challenge that we face. Time presents another challenge to us, not so much a matter of patience, but a matter of probabilities, or more specifically, dwindling probabilities. It seems like sometimes the longer a time goes on, the less likely it is that something is going to happen or occur. And those dwindling probabilities, those can be a challenge to our faith many times. It may not always be the case, but there does seem to be a correlation. The longer we have to wait and the more time that goes by, the less likely it is that something is is going to happen. A good example of this, again, from my own life, Uh, I had this uh, friend in college, a good friend of mine whom I trusted a lot, well, I had this old guitar that I had learned on. It came time. I was, was going to treat myself. I was going to upgrade to a new guitar. And he wanted to buy the old one. So we agreed on a price. And he said, well, I can get paid Friday. I'll give you the money then. I said, that's fine. And then he said, well, can I borrow it in the meantime this week? Now, normally that'd be a hard no from me. Until the money's in my hand, that's my guitar. But he's a good friend, and I trusted him. And he lived in my dormitory, so if I had to chase him down, I knew where he slept, right? So it wasn't a big deal. So yeah, I said, yeah, that's fine, borrow it. So he took it back, and, and time went on, the week passed, and it just got really busy. I mean, I had a job, I had a ministry on the side, I know his schoolwork was crazy, he had a job, he had a girlfriend. I, I completely forgot about that guitar within a week. And apparently he did too, because he never paid me. And like, months went by. Nothing was said, no money was exchanged, and finally it was, it was in the middle of summer break. I had one of those weird moments, I know we've all had these, where it's like 3 a.m., and you remember the dumbest stuff, and you got to solve the world's problems at 3 a.m. Like, I woke up like, he never paid me for that guitar. Like, months had gone by. And so much time had gone by, in fact, I kind of just accepted he's probably not going to pay me, because the longer time goes on, the less likely it seems that something is going to happen. Dwindling probabilities, that's what we're talking about. And Abraham had to have felt that pressure, that realization in this moment where God is speaking to him and saying, God, 
or saying, Abraham, I will give you a son. Because like we said, 24 years have passed since the initial promise was made, and yet it's not happened. Beyond that, there's the very obvious biological challenge. He's 99 years old. His wife Sarah is 90 years old. People in that season of life, they ain't having babies, right? I mean, that doesn't happen. That's the obvious challenge here. And yet I want us to notice something about Abraham and his faith. Let's look at verse 19. It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. And the phrase that really stands out to us in here is that he faced the fact that his body was good as dead. Abraham wasn't naive about his situation. He knew very well how biology worked. I mean, yeah, they didn't have like microbiology and stuff back then, but like you pretty much just put two and two together. People of this season of life don't have kids anymore. And yet despite that, he trusts in the Lord. He has faith. It's not a pie in the sky kind of a faith that he has. And it's not a, a naive kind of faith. It's a very informed realization. This is reality. The likelihood of us having children is zero. And yet he chooses to trust the Lord and his promise anyway. That's what stands out about Abraham's faith. Despite the dwindling probabilities, he chooses trust. You might look at it a different way, though, too. Like, apart from God, the likelihood of having children is zero. But with God, at least there's a shot. Who knows? And sometimes that idea of dwindling probabilities, that's a challenge to us too. Sometimes we get it in our head that too much time has gone by. It's too late, right? Maybe we think that that's, that's how life works sometimes. Maybe in, in relationships we can get this idea. You know, maybe we had an argument with somebody or falling out. Or maybe somebody offended us in some way. And there needs to be reconciliation. Someone needs to apologize. Someone needs to say, I'm sorry. Someone needs to say, I forgive you. But enough time has gone by. Maybe we tell ourselves, that's too late. Too much time has passed. Or maybe we experience this in, in an even more intimate and kind of painful way with our kids. I know some of us, we've talked, and, and you have 18 years with your kids, right? And even of those 18, we're not the prime influence for all 18. We've got a short time with our kids. And then they grow up, they leave the house, they make their own decisions, they go their own path, and sometimes it's hard to watch them go down that path because you know it's not beneficial and you know it's not wise and it eats you up inside. But you're watching and you're saying, it's, it's too late. They're, they don't listen to me. They, they're not little kids anymore. Too much time has passed. I don't have that influence in their life. And we still sometimes feel resigned just to sit back and watch them implode. Or maybe even a little more personally, I've talked to a lot of parents in our body whose children have grown and have not chosen Christ as their Lord. And it's frustrating and it's hurtful because they watch and they say, it's too late. I don't have that influence in their life. They don't listen to me. Maybe too much time has gone by. Will they ever make that decision? It can be hard to trust in those circumstances it's so much easier to believe that the, the probabilities have dwindled beyond the point of, of possibility. And that's why I love stories like my friend Lloyd. At the previous church where my wife and I served, Lloyd was, a, he was an older man who always sat in the same pew. He was always by the window. The sun always beamed down. He was nice and warm, so he fell asleep every Sunday. I don't know if he ever heard a whole sermon that I preached. 
But Lloyd was just this really humble, jovial, elderly man that I really got to know and enjoy. And I loved Lloyd's story. Because Lloyd uh, didn't grow up in church. I mean, his, his mom, she had this vague belief in God, but his dad really wasn't in the picture, so she worked every Sunday just to provide for him and his siblings. And so he wasn't really ever in church. He wasn't opposed to it, you know. In fact, when his daughters got a little older, he would take them to church and drop them off every Sunday because he thought it was good that they were there. He, he wouldn't stay himself. He would go work or do something else. But he was open to the idea. certainly didn't have a saving faith in Jesus. But then at around 80 years old, Lloyd's wife passed away. And he started asking different questions. He started thinking about things a little differently. And at almost 80 years old, Lloyd made the decision that he needed Jesus in his life as his Savior. And he was baptized in the waters. And when he came up, Lloyd came up with this whole new kind of a faith, this outlook on life, where he just wanted to know the Lord. And he wanted to know more about him and about what does the Bible say. And I remember there were so many funny instances. He would come to a Wednesday night Bible study, and I'd go through the lesson, and I could almost count on it. Lloyd would sit there. He wouldn't say anything the whole time. And then at the end, before we finished, he would say, well, I don't know a whole lot, but it sounds to me like, and then he would lay out this very eloquent biblical teaching. I was like, Lloyd, I think you understand a little bit more than you let on. But Lloyd's story is so encouraging to me because almost 80 years old, he's the shining example. It's not too late. There's no such thing as too much time that has gone by whenever God is involved in the story. He never stops calling. He never stops sending people. He never stops speaking the truth through his people, through his world. All he asks of us is to continue to trust him, despite the dwindling probabilities. Trust that he is still able. That's so encouraging to me. But maybe we wrestle with these dwindling probabilities and this challenge to our faith, not so much in our relationship with other people, maybe it's in relationship to ourselves. We wrestle with ourselves a lot. In fact, I hear this phrase kind of offhandedly quite a bit. Well, that's just the way I am, you know. It's, I, I, I'm, I'm angry. It's just the way I am. Or I'm, I'm, I'm a worrier. That's just what I am, you know. Or I've been this way for my whole life, you know. It's just I'm kind of stuck in my ways. And we can sometimes accept that there are parts of our lives that are out of sync with Christ and out of sync with God's will. But it's just too late to change, you know. Too much time has gone by. And I think sometimes we tell ourselves that because we know change is difficult and it's easier just to say, eh, it's not going to change. But sometimes maybe we believe that. Too much time has gone by. I'm stuck in my ways. That's why I love stories like my friend Glenn. Glenn is another man who's a lot older than me, but Glenn spent his, his whole life on the assembly floor of a Ford motor plant uh, right outside St. Louis. And he worked long days, worked hard days, worked six days a week, almost every week. So when Glenn got home at night, he's tired. He didn't want to deal with his whiny kids, and they were whiny. I know them both. He wanted to come home, sit in his chair, and just relax for a minute. That never happened, though. And so Glenn was oftentimes frustrated. He was impatient. He was angry. And by his own admission, Glenn was just an unpleasant person for a large part of his adult life. And then about 50, 55 years old, Glenn had an encounter with Christ, gave his life over to Jesus, again, plunged under the waters of baptism. And when he came up, he started a new pursuit to know who Jesus was. And the longer Glenn earnestly sought after Christ, the more he changed. 
And he became a little more patient with each passing day. And he became a little less aggravated each passing day. And the Glenn that I knew when I had met him at 70 years old was a very pleasant, jovial guy who everybody loved being around. And I love Glenn's story because it's this reminder that it's not too late to change. There's no such thing as too much time having passed by whenever God is involved in the situation. In fact, Paul goes on a little later in the book of Romans to remind us of this fact. In chapter 8, verse 13, he says, For if you live according to the flesh, meaning the old way, the way that you have always been, that you're born in, that you've been stuck in for your whole life, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit of God, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, if you accept that God's power can change, you will live. Now this certainly isn't saying everybody needs to be perfect by the time our clock runs out, but what this is saying is having a saving kind of faith, a real faith, is trusting that God has the power to work on our lives despite the dwindling probabilities. It means rejecting this idea that it's too late for God to go to work in me and shape my heart to look more like Jesus. And rejecting this idea that that I'm just set in my ways and I'm stuck and nothing's ever going to change. Baloney. Glenn was 55 years old. His entire adult life was unpleasantness. And yet he changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. It was true of him. It's true of so many other people as well. This idea of dwindling probabilities. It can be a discouragement to our faith. Too much time has gone by until we remember that God is involved. Abraham demonstrates this kind of faith. 24 years have gone by. He's 99 years old. And yet he looks at the reality of the situation. There's absolutely no way my wife and I are going to be having a child. But if God said this, I trust he will make it happen. That's the bottom line. That's what Abraham's faith is about. And that's a really good summation of what a biblical faith is. If God said it, then he probably intends to do it. And I trust that despite having to wait a little bit on him and be patient, despite this dwindling probability when when everything says, no, that's not going to happen, if he said he's going to do it, I trust he's going to do it. That's faith. Faith that stands up despite the challenges of time. And that's why Abraham is celebrated with this great faith. We read a, a summation of it, chapter 4, verse 20. It says, yet... Meaning despite the challenges of being patient, despite the challenge of dwindling probabilities, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded, listen to this, that God had power to do what he had promised. If God said it, he meant it. And if he meant it, he would do it. No other factors need to come into play here. That's faith at its core. It's a trust in God. It's trust enough to obey, but also trust enough to believe. Believe he can and will. It's a trust that believes and follows him even when the doors close and believes and follows even when it goes against the grain. It's a belief and a trust even when it requires us to be patient. And it's a trust despite the dwindling probabilities that our world tells us, hey, this isn't going to happen. It's this trust that this God is who he claims to be, that he is steadfast and faithful, that he is constant and consistent, that he is unchanging and unwavering, and that he can, that he can do whatever he says he's going to do. If he says he is coming back, he's coming back. 
If he says he can change a leper's spots, he can change your spots. If he says, I can wipe your slate clean through the blood of Christ, not because of you, but because of what I've done, then you are forgiven and clean. If he says, I will raise you just as I've raised my son Jesus, you will be raised. Maybe it requires us to be a little patient. Maybe it doesn't seem likely in light of all the other things we've seen in the world. But if God said it, he meant it. And our faith is measured by how much we trust his word. So here's how I want to challenge us this week. I want to challenge us to take stock of our lives. Reflect a little bit. And try to identify, is there part of my life where I have said, this is good enough? Or part of my life where I have said, it's too late. Too much time has gone by. And I want you to ask yourself, is it really good enough? Has too much time gone by? Or have I resigned myself to these ideas despite the fact that God has spoken and calls me to something more? And if he has spoken and called you to change, if he has spoken and called you to serve, if he has spoken and called you to trust, I want to challenge us to commit ourselves to what he has spoken and what he calls. Because that's what it means to have faith, church. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would search our hearts and you would reveal to us those areas where we have resigned ourselves to mediocrity. And I pray that you would remind us of your word, what you have spoken, how you empower us through your spirit to be changed, to look like Christ, to be free from sin, liberated from his bondage, and to experience the joy of walking with you. I pray that you would reveal to us the good intentions you have for our lives, <clears throat> that we wouldn't settle for breaking even, and that we take matters into our own hands, but that we wait on you to fulfill your word as you've spoken. And I pray that as we go through this process that you would remind and encourage us, just as you reminded and encouraged Abraham throughout his life journey, that you are with us, that you are for us, and that you can fulfill whatever you've spoken. Let us be people of faith, Father, for our benefit, for your glory. Amen.